So this semester, what we've been doing during this time is reading Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. Um, Paul was an apostle. He was someone who was sent by Jesus uh, to proclaim what it is that Jesus had done in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension to heaven. And so Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus in the year 62. And Paul was a Jewish rabbi whose life was oriented towards killing Christians and destroying the church. And then after meeting Jesus, uh, his life was completely transformed and he spent the rest of his life um, telling people about Jesus and building the church. And what we've seen is that this letter has six chapters. And the first three chapters are about what what is true about you because of what Jesus has done. Um, The work that he has done uh, in Christ, rescuing people from sin and death. And then the second half of the book, uh, chapters four through six, deal with what are we to do? Like knowing that this is true, how are we to live? How are we to live in response to God's love for us in Christ? And tonight we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about families, talks about life and families. Um, I'll tell you a story. One of my, one of my best friends, um, we'll call him Mark, he, um, he grew up in a broken home and he was the youngest of two. And when he was nine months old, his dad left home, um, and his his childhood was a, a, a way he described it, it was he just felt his father's absence. Um, and he filled that with alcohol and drugs and sex, just the standard attempts of dealing with brokenness. Um, I had a friend growing up named Simon who, when we got to high school, his parents got divorced um, because his both his mother and father went to go be with their lovers. Um, and so it was like this mutual break of their marriage for, um, for their lovers. Um, my own family, uh, my family tree is littered with estrangement, imprisonments, suicide, secret addictions, um, secret wars. Maybe you find yourself in one of these stories that your, your family has the same brokenness. Um, Really, like we all need healed homes. Like all of us have something in our family that shows us the way that the brokenness of sin has crept its way into our families. And on our own, we are actually doomed to to perpetuate this brokenness. And the Bible speaks to this need and offers us a real hope of a healed home. And it does this by saying that if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in all of your relationships. And so what we're going to read tonight is to see how Paul talks about the way that the good news of Jesus, the gospel, makes its way into our families, makes its way into our homes. Um, so I'm going to read for us, this is on the back of the bulletin, Ephesians 5, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 4. This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true and it's given to us in love. Paul writes this, he says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so a number of you, when you heard this, uh, you, um, you thought, this is what people hate about Christianity, all this submission language. Um, and we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about that together. A good friend of mine um, says this about this passage. Uh, he says this. He says, some say that this is a text of oppression. That the call to submit out of love is one of oppressive power. Now, others have said this is a text of liberation. That in the first century Roman world, the way, of Roman, the way that the Roman society kept order was through the household. So the, um, they had this thing called the pater, pater familias, which means the, the father of the home, the father of the family, which was a household code. And it was the, the design for how the father was to run things. And these household codes, these, these pater familiases, were for the father only. Because in the Roman Empire, the man, the father, was the only one in the household who was actually a person. Like he was the only one who had personhood. He was the only one who had legal rights and legal standing. The only one who had the rights and responsibilities of being a citizen. And everyone else in the household wasn't a person. Wives weren't people. Legally speaking, children weren't people, slaves weren't people, servants weren't people. Only the, the, the paterfamilias, the head of the household, was a person. And the father of the home was called, in the Roman Empire, the ruler of the wife, and the ruler of the children, and the ruler of the servants. But here in Ephesians, he is not called ruler. Instead, he is called to love. In the Roman Empire, the wife and the child and the slave would not have even been addressed. Like, their names wouldn't even be in here. But here Paul addresses them and gives their place in these relationships dignity and importance. And what he's doing here is he's undermining the structures in the Roman Empire. And while Paul is doing that, the text is fundamentally a text of proclamation. The call of Christian relationships is to learn to proclaim the gospel in the particular way that each of our relationships might call us to. Thinking first of the needs of others and not of our own. And it's easy to look at this passage and see it like a list of shoulds, like what you should do. And this is not a list of shoulds. The, the gospel doesn't burden you. When, um, when you begin to follow Jesus, he doesn't heap up burdens for more things for you to do. But he sets you free to follow him and to lay down your life as he's laid down his life for you. And so you shouldn't hear this and think, okay, this is a list of things that I have to do because I'm a Christian. Um, what he's actually doing here is, in a way, this, this is a loophole. Like this passage is a loophole. Paul is saying that, um, that you don't have to repeat the brokenness that you inherited from your families. Like this is a loophole. You can actually move into relationships as an adult in a way that brings healing and health rather than destruction and brokenness. And while Paul gives rules, he does give rules here. The rules come through the grace of Jesus. There's a, a C.S. Lewis quote on the front that says this. Um, if the home is to be a means of grace, it must be a place of rules. The alternative to rules is not freedom, but the unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. 
So if you don't have rules in a family, then whoever's the most selfish gets to dictate the way things happen. And so the reason there's this structure is so that there would be order to the way that we lay down our lives for one another. Another way of saying that is we're given rules because God loves us. And he provides the possibility of a healed home for us because he loves us. Um, so when I was in middle school, we took a field trip, a school field trip to, I grew up in Virginia, to a, a Civil War battlefield. And I remember, I think it was the sixth grade, I remember they, they set off one of the cannons for us. And before they, they set up, they came and they told us to close our ears and open our mouths. Because the concussive force was so great, if we just plugged our ears it would, and kept our mouths shut, it would blow out our eardrums. Um, that's what they told us. I don't know. Maybe it's true. Um, it was crazy. But after the cannon went off, my ears were ringing so loud that I couldn't hear anything else. Um, and that's what verse 22 does to us, isn't it? Like, I don't know if y'all heard the past five minutes what I said because of verse 22 that says, wives submit. It's like this cannon that goes off and then we can't hear anything else that is said. Um, and so as, as we walk through this, um, I want you to know that, that everything falls under this top category of verse 21, where he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I know, you know, I know that submission is a dirty word. Like I know that um, when we think about submission, we think about an act of force, someone uh, dominating someone else, using their power against them. Um, no love, just unilateral power, power without love. Um, so I actually, I actually taught on this passage maybe five years ago, and I did a Google image search for, uh, for submission, and all that came up was like WWE wrestlers, you know, men in small bikini bottoms putting each other in chokeholds. And I did another Google search. I had safe search on, so we're okay. Um, but I did another one today, and um, it was mostly like bondage stuff. Like just to see how our, even the safe search stuff was like 50 shades of gray stuff was, um, was what popped up for this. Like the way that our culture thinks about submission is dark and, um, and something that uh, we either stay away from or if we are attracted to, we do, and we do in the darkness. And, um, and I know this idea, and for, for some of you, the idea of submission brings up painful memories for you. Um, maybe you have vivid memories of angry fathers yelling at cowering mothers, um, telling them to submit, or maybe you've seen this scene play out in friends' homes, or you've seen it played out in movies. And y'all, this is not the picture that Paul is painting here, because that is not love, that is abuse. And what Paul is doing here is he's not giving us rules of abuse, but he's giving us rules of love. And he weaves these through these three sets of relationships. He goes first through husbands and wives, and then children and parents, and then what we'll talk about next week, he talks about masters and um, servants. Um, so what we'll do is we'll, we're going to talk about children and parents first, and then we'll spend the majority of our time talking about husbands and wives. So first, children and parents. Um, what Paul's saying here is if you belong to Jesus, you belong to him in all of your relationships. So he speaks to children. And he says that there's a command that you honor and obey your parents, trusting Jesus for the strength to do it. And this word children here is this Greek word that actually means minors, so anyone who's under their parents' care. And so I think like if you're still on your parents' dime, you're, you're technically this, you're included in this. So unless you're paying for college yourself, this includes a lot of y'all. Um, and this makes sense when children are small, right? Like when our children were small, I remember when Leo, our seven-year-old, was two, we had this little question and answer we would do when, um, when I was leaving to leaving home to go to work, I'd say, Leo, what are you going to do today? And Leo would respond, I'm going to obey mommy. 
and I would say, what is mommy going to do today? And he would say, mommy's going to obey Jesus. And like we see the value of this with a two-year-old, that this, this instructs a two-year-old in the beauty of what this, this rule of love can look like in a home. Um, and then in the, the other side, he speaks to parents, and he says, don't provoke your parents to anger, or don't provoke your children to anger. Or what he's saying is he's doing this, like, don't exacerbate your children. Um, and do you know what this is like? Like, have you experienced this from, from a parent, maybe your dad or your mom, um, the pain of a dad toying with you to make you angry, to make you frustrated, to make you exasperated so that he could have a laugh, right? And you can't do anything about it. Like, do you, do you know that feeling? Um, this is not God's intention for parents. And, and they are commanded to stop. Like, this is not how families work in the church. God wants families to be a place where we experience God's grace and we see the beauty of Jesus' self-giving love. And so Paul gives these rules, these loopholes, so that families in the church would bear the marks of Jesus, not the marks of the world. Um, and just to be honest, to be candid with you in this, like I need, I need Jesus' help to do this every day. Like Some days I do it well and I love my family away, and other days I'm a disaster. Um, you can ask Mary Clark, and I, am, I, I don't do these things. And this is why, in order to actually to love our families, we need Jesus' help. Because um, it's so easy to think that other people exist for me. Like, to think that the, the other people in my life actually exist to serve me, and I don't exist to lay down my life for them. So how does this apply to y'all? Um, well, the call to honor your parents is an always for you and for me. To show them honor because God made them our parents. Now, Paul isn't saying that you have to trust your parents, because I know that our parents can break our trust. Um, But he is saying that we have to honor our parents. Um, We have to honor them. Um, So for my family, this means that um, God wants my children, he wants Leo and Mary Lynn and George to hear and believe the gospel through their parents. So he wants Mary Clark and I to live in such a way that our home is a place filled with love so that when we do tell them about Jesus, they don't think that we're lying. They want our lives to match um, our words. And so this is all under the heading of verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so immediately after this, he addresses marriages and he gives these separate challenges to men and women. So he says to wives, submit to husbands and later respect your husbands. And he says to husbands, love your wives. And these are trigger words, right? Like, um, I know it must be so hard for some of you to even listen to me have read Ephesians 5. And part of that is that there's so many ugly, sinful examples of how this has been abused. Like, some of you hear this and you say, how is this not a ceiling for women? Um, One of you told me, this is what people hate about Christianity. Um, I haven't seen the show, but someone told me that The The Handmaiden's Tale, this, this TV series, it's set in a fictional world, and they do this gymnastic misapplication of Bible texts to justify dominating William, do, dominating women that actually sounds really familiar to our experience, stories that we've heard of the way that women have been dominated using this text as justification. But we can't let abuses of God's word push us away from because God cherishes the women that he gave his life for. And so he gives, he gives these different challenges, these different challenges to men and to women because he created men and women differently. The challenges are different because men and women are created differently. In Genesis 1, 27, 
So as the story of God creating men and women, we're told God created man and man in his own image and the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And twice in Genesis, it says that both male and female are equally created in God's image. One of my friends, Ray Kanata writes that when Genesis was written, no other culture believed that women were created equal to men. And after stating the equality and dignity of women, the Bible illustrates this over and over again. No ancient Near Eastern genealogy contains the name of women. None of them do, except for the Bible. And if you take the time to read the stories of the Bible, often the male characters are the wicked ones and the women are the heroes. No other religious text does that. No other religious text does that. And when Jesus rose from the dead, do you know who he chose to reveal himself to? To women, women who had no standing in court. He wanted the first testimony of his resurrection from the dead to be women. In the Bible, women are regarded as utterly equal and utterly valuable as men, equal image bearers of God. And that's why scholars like Jerem Bars can show that every single culture, when Christianity is first introduced, it always brings greater roles in liberation for women. The Bible shows that women are totally equal to men, equal but not identical, equal but not interchangeable. So what does it mean, knowing the Bible says that, what does it mean for wives to submit to husbands? So I asked, um, I asked Mary Clark this because I didn't want to stand up here and like talk about this without asking my wife. So Mary Clark talked with some friends, and um, this is how they responded. This is how they've processed what does it look like for wives to submit to husbands. Um, said this. They said, it's always being for the other's good over your own. Um, one friend said this. I love the idea of thinking about the other's good. I would also add that it means um, it does not mean not sharing an alternate opinion. It means honestly and graciously, graciously Sharing a different perspective um, with full respect for, um, for my husband. I also think it means giving weight to your husband's sense of God's guidance, not to the detriment of how you think God is leading, but in the lines of taking him seriously and trusting that God will work through him, especially when you disagree. Um, one, woman, one of Mary Clark's friends said this. She said, practically, submission for me is being willing to give up what feel like my rights for the good of my husband and family when to hold on to them would be selfish and show, show a power struggle. So what about husbands called to, live, to love their wives? The husband's gentle love for his wife, this call from Jesus, is an act of submission to Jesus. It is not a reign of terror. Now, why is this an act of submission? Because, Jesus, because submission to the Father is how Jesus has loved us, and his love was self-sacrificial. And y'all, I'm sorry that people and men and some churches have abused the word submission, but biblical submission is about love. It is not about power. And how do I know this? Look at Jesus. Look at the way that Jesus used his power. The most powerful human in history, God himself, came to earth and emptied himself. Right? He laid it down for others. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He admitted himself to the will of sinful men to be crucified. Like This is the exercise of power. It's a laying down of power in the name of love, in love for others. And that's what he's saying. When, when Paul says, Husband loves your, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, he's saying that the call of husbands in a marriage is to do the work of being the first to lay down their lives. 
That means that in my marriage and in every Christian marriage, the call of the husband is to be the first to say that they're sorry. I'm the first to say that I'm sorry. To be the first to, to forgive. To be the first to die. Like the first to give up my rights. The first um, to do the hard thing. This, this is the call. This is what he says when he's love. It's to lay down my life. The husband is to lay down their life um, for their wife. C.S. Lewis, this is a quote on the front. He says, the husband's crown is not made of gold, but it's made of thorns. Just like Jesus' crown, the husband's crown is not made of gold, but it's made of thorns. And y'all, our, our culture teaches us that authority and leadership is about giving orders and not taking them, right? It's about exercising power. It's like, how much power can you get so that you can rule over others? But that's not the way it is with the gospel. For in the gospel, we see that the one with the greatest power and the greatest authority, Jesus Christ, laid it down and became a servant of all. And so God calls those in authority, and in this case husbands, to be gentle and to love and to give themselves in service for their wives. And this picture that Paul is giving to us is saying that in the unique ways that he made women, in the unique ways that he made men, that when they work together, submitting to Christ, in a marriage, for the husband, it looks like laying down their life in love, and the wife, it looks like submitting to that husband who's laid down his life in love. That's what this is saying. Um, and this is real-time reconciliation, real-time repentance and forgiveness and love and respect. And this is what can give power and life and wholeness to a marriage. So what does it look like on the ground? Like, what is an example of what this looks like on the ground? Um, ben Milner, who's a pastor at Salem Prez here, he says that... Um, in his marriage, what this looks like is that if he and Margie are making a decision about dinner, Margie's his wife, and he picks one restaurant and Margie picks another one, then Ben chooses where they eat every single time. His, vo- his vote's the tiebreaker, and he always chooses Margie's choice. That's what this looks like. He always chooses Margie's choice. It's using power to give up. It's using authority to give up power for the sake of the other. That's what Paul is talking about. So application for y'all. None of y'all are married. Um, and these instructions are for husbands and wives. Like these are not for boyfriend and girlfriend. These are not for, um, they're not for just men and women. Like ways in which these have been abused is that men have said like, oh, this is all women should submit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is for the covenant of marriage. So for you, as you're thinking about a future where one day you want to be married, um, think, use these categories to think about the future. So women... If you're looking for a husband, um, find a man that you would be willing to submit to. One who doesn't ask you to do things that you don't want to do. Because if a guy is always pushing your boundaries, all he's communicating to you is that you exist for his pleasure. Don't waste your time with men who see you as a vehicle for their sexual gratification. And men, if you're looking for a wife, find a woman who you want to lay your life down for. A woman who you want to daily, for the rest of your life, die for her sake. And if this is confusing for you and you're not sure how to make sense of this, um, please come talk to Mary Clark or I or Robbie or Ellis. That's why we're here for y'all, so that we can help you make this. Or if you hate everything I've said and you want to yell at one of us, we would love that too. Um, we just want to talk with you about this because this is, um, this is good and it is um, given to us in love. So while these commands are different, love and submission are different, they share a lot in common. And what they share in common is that they're both done out of reverence to Christ. 
All right, look at verse 22. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 25, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I already said this, but the pattern for all relationships is found in verse 21, that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Um, That what Jesus has done for us um, is so compelling and so beautiful that the natural outflow of that, the natural outworking of knowing what Jesus has done for you and dying for your sin and being raised for you leads to this. That this isn't what you should do or what you have to do, but becomes what you want to do. A few years ago, I read Les Mis. Well, I didn't, I mean, no one actually finished it. I don't think anyone's actually finished that book. I read, I read most of Les Mis. I read most of Les Mis. Um, and um, if you're unfamiliar with the story, at the beginning of the book, you're introduced to two characters. There's a bishop and there's a man named Jean Valjean who's played by Wolverine. And um, this opening part of the book, Jean Valjean has spent his formative years in a, uh, a French labor camp. And he's been working hard labor and he becomes a hard, um, hardened man. And he's, he's released from prison and he's wandering around this small French town and everyone's shutting their doors to him. And the only people who open his doors to him is this bishop who lets him in for the night um, and offers him a, uh, a meal and a place to stay. And we learn that in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean um, robs the bishop, <clears throat> robs the bishop, takes all of his, his silver. And, um, and then and the next morning, while the bishop is eating his breakfast, he gets a knock on the door and there are three police officers with Jean Valjean um, and they have the bishop's silver. And before the police have much opportunity to say anything, the bishop says this. He blurts out, he says, ah, here you are, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm glad to see you, but how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too, which are silver like the rest in which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why not carry them away with you with the forks and the spoons? And the policemen are confused. And so they say, so what this man said is true, that when we came across him, he was walking like a man who was running away. So we can let him go? Certainly, replies the bishop. And so the policeman release Jean Valjean and he recoils. And he says, um, is it true that I am to be released? He said in an almost inarticulate voice and as though he were talking in his sleep. Yes, you are released. Do you not understand? Said one of the policemen. My friend, resumed the bishop, before you go, here are your candlesticks. Take them. And so he stepped to the mantelpiece, took two silver candlesticks, brought them to Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean was trembling in every limb. He took the two candlesticks mechanically. The bishop dismissed the policemen, and when they were gone, he drew close to Jean Valjean and said in a low voice, Do not forget, never forget that you have promised to use this money in becoming an honest man. Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of ever having promised anything, remained speechless. The bishop had emphasized the words when he uttered them, and he resumed with solemnity. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul that I buy from you. I withdraw it, back, I with, withdraw it from black thoughts and the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. Friends, Jesus has given you everything, including the candlesticks, in his death for you. And with everything, he has bought you back from slavery to sin and death. Because on the cross, in Christ, we see submission and love in its most perfect beauty. He perfectly submitted to the Father's will and going to the cross for you. And he submitted to the wickedness of men going to the cross for you. And the cross is the display of his love for you. If you ever wonder if you're loved, 
Like if that question ever plays through your mind, look at the cross. Look at what Jesus has done for you because he loves for you. For it's there that God has sealed his love for you. Jesus has given himself for you fully so that in all things, in all of your relationships, you might proclaim this gospel by loving and serving one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for this text. And we confess that even after thinking about it for 30 minutes, it's still perplexing and hard for us to hear. Um, But Lord, would you help us to believe that this is good? As crazy as it sounds to us, would you help us to believe this is good? Um, to see that uh, you laying down your life for us, Jesus.